your existence is something that's very unique to you. And it's really an opportunity for you to go out there in the world and create something that nobody else can. I am unwilling to give up that I will start over from scratch as many times as it takes to get where I want to be. I want to be. You just want to make sure you will get knocked down, but just make sure you don't get knocked out, knocked out. So your only choice should be go focus on what you can control, control, control. Hi, everyone, and welcome to the Kara Golden Show. Join me each week for inspiring conversations with some of the world's greatest leaders. We'll talk with founders, entrepreneurs, CEOs, and really some of the most interesting people of our time. Can't wait to get started. Let's go. Let's go. Hi, everyone. It's Kara Golden from The Kara Golden Show, and I am super excited about my next guest. I'm such a fan, huge fan, fan, fan of this founder, this great woman, uh, just iconic brand builder on so many fronts. So Marcia Kilgore is here with me, and we're going to talk about her latest, uh, it's a couple years old, a few years old. We'll talk more about that, but it's called Beauty Pie. And I was just sharing with her that it's her products are awesome. We were on a panel a few years ago and uh, she was talking about it and I got online and ordered them and they're so, so amazing. And I was already a fan of her and her products. I think I was an early adopter to the spa in Soho that she started called Bliss. And uh, she gave amazing facials and had all kinds of great products too, and successfully sold that company and then FitFlop. And we're going to talk about all of that in just a couple of minutes and some of her other ventures as well. But she is a true disruptor and has built direct-to-consumer and luxury beauty product brands and really, really excited to have you here. So thank you for coming on, Marcia. Oh, thank you so much for having me. And thank you for being a customer. Yes, absolutely. Way back. Yeah, absolutely. I'm very, very excited. So talk to me a little bit about who you are, where, what's your background? Who was little Marcia? Oh, well, I'm a Canadian. I grew up um, mostly in Saskatchewan and Alberta. Saskatchewan is like the prairies, you know, there's sort of nothing there except for farmhouses in a couple of small cities. Um, I was the third of three girls. Um, my father died when I was 11. So leaving my mom and, and us to kind of fend for ourselves, which is, I think, where I probably got a little bit of my entrepreneurial and sort of survival instinct. Um, And I moved to New York when I was about 17, maybe 18. I lose track of time. You know, there's just been so much that's gone on. I'm I'm kind of terrible with the the timeline. Yeah. And I I just, you know, took part-time jobs to kind of survive and pay my rent while I, when I was first there and ended up falling into the skincare business because my skin was quite terrible. And then parlayed that into um, quite quite a lot of businesses, learning so much about cosmetic ingredients and skincare ingredients, you know, over over the years. And so I have been a personal trainer in my life. I have been a waitress. I have been a copywriter. I have been a, a facialist. Um, I have been a CEO. You know, I have been a, a founder of many businesses. So um, it's interesting. I think what all of the experiences that I've had have turned into. Um, if, you know, I always say to people that your unique experiences and how you pull them together are actually your unique opportunities. And so even if something really difficult happens in your life, uh, eventually, if you can overcome that and sort of put it in your pocket or put it up as one of the dots in your connected dot diagram, when all those dots link together, you know, you're existence is something that's very unique to you. And it's really an opportunity for you to go out there in the world and create something that nobody else can. Oh my gosh. I absolutely love that. And so you, I read somewhere you, you said, I found by accident what I'm good at and I'm glad I did. Now I'm guessing that is the skincare uh, side of the business. I mean, you're very talented. You've done lots of different things. So talk to me a little bit about that. And is that what is that how Bliss Spa came to be? 
Yeah, you know, it's a, it's a quite a long story because it was many years of learning how to do skincare and then learning, how, you know, learning facials and learning how to run a small business and learning how to hire people and learning how to train people and then how to market and all of those kind of things. And it did start with um, learning how to give facials because I had taken a crash course in facials because my skin was so bad. I just tried everything and just wanted to learn, you know, how to fix it myself. And so I did start by giving facials in my studio apartment on Avenue B and 8th Street um, <laughs> to a lot of model bookers from um, what was then elite, uh, elite models. And my sister happened to be a model. And so she was connected and she sent all of these um, women who were in the booking offices to me for facials. And then they sent they sent models to me for facials and they would send their friends to me for facials. And so I realized like quite quickly that I was pretty good at, at, at giving facials. And when I opened my first spa, or it wasn't really a spa, it was three rooms in a, in a building on uh, Prince and Broadway. Um, I quickly learned that I had a little bit of a flair for marketing because in order to reach customers and remind them that they needed to come in for their facial, you know, there was, there was no internet back then. So you would mail them something. So a friend of how often have you thought about learning a new language only to be stopped by that memory of yours from the last time you tried to learn a language when it didn't go so well? Okay, maybe it wasn't a language that you were interested in learning or perhaps all those poorly written textbooks in your sixth grade class weren't that well written after all. I have a great tip for you. It's called Rosetta Stone. Rosetta Stone is the most trusted language learning program around available on desktop or app, no matter where you choose to learn it or what platform you choose to learn on, Rosetta Stone works and it truly immerses you in the language you choose to learn quicker and easier than you ever imagined to. Maybe you're getting ready to travel abroad this summer and you want to learn a bit of Portuguese, let's say, before your trip. Rosetta Stone can help. I know this firsthand as I did just this before traveling to Portugal last year. I learned Portuguese through Rosetta Stone, and by doing so, I not only got a better grasp of the spoken language of Portugal, but it got me very excited for the trip itself before I went. They even have a true accent feature that gives you feedback on your pronunciation as you are learning too. They've got you covered. Rosetta Stone's trusted experts are the real deal. They've been helping people just like you for over 30 years, helping millions of people to learn Spanish, French, Italian, German, Korean, Chinese, Japanese, Dutch, Arabic, Polish, and my favorite, Portuguese. The lessons are five to 10 minutes long and include practical exercises so that you can pick up the language naturally, first with words, then phrases, then sentences. No English translations either, so you really learn to speak, listen, and think in the language you are focused on, helping you get the long-term retention you are looking for. And who wouldn't want that? Don't put off learning that language. There's no better time than right now to get started. For a very limited time, the Kara Golden Show listeners can get Rosetta Stone's lifetime membership for 50% off. Visit rosettastone.com slash today. That's 50% off unlimited access to 25 language courses for the rest of your life. Redeem your 50% off at rosettastone.com slash today today. In today's world, which I will admit can at times seem filled with too much of the wrong information, it's essential to find a good source that truly gets to the heart of what I want to know. I am super excited about our next sponsor as I've been a big fan of their content for some time now. That sponsor is the Washington Post. Their depth on topics from business to tech isn't just impressive, it's essential reading for me. Whether I'm catching up on the latest tech trends or understanding how the day's news truly impacts my family, the Washington Post is my trusted source. Let's talk specifics. Their business and tech coverage, absolutely top-notch. Just imagine having the most insightful articles at your fingertips, including the unparalleled AI reporting from Drew Harwell or the pulse on tech and online culture from Taylor Lorenz. And the best part? You can listen to articles just like you listen to this podcast, making it perfect for your busy lifestyle. 
I was just reading an article from one of my favorite Washington Post writers, Frances Stead Sellers. She covers entrepreneurs like myself, but also covers other interesting topics, including health, as well as some very interesting books. I also love getting their For You newsletter, which is their roundup of stories tailored just for my interests, right in my inbox every evening. The Washington Post app is Super well done, I think. It makes it incredibly easy to stay up to date and follow my favorite journalists on the go. And if you ever thought that the Washington Post is just about politics, think again. They cover everything under the sun, from climate and culture to crosswords and cooking, providing a world of surprising stories and vital insights. Okay, enough of the love fest that I have for the Washington Post. Here's the deal. Being a listener of The Kara Golden Show has its benefits, and this one is too good to miss. Now is the time to sign up for The Washington Post. Go to WashingtonPost.com slash Kara Golden to subscribe for just 50 cents per week for your first year. That's 80% off their typical offer. So this is truly a steal. Once again, that's WashingtonPost.com backslash Kara Golden to subscribe for just 50 cents per week for your first year. Mine was a graphic designer. She worked at, I think it was uh, Electra Records, which I don't Mm. know if it even exists anymore. And she designed me a little newsletter and I wrote a newsletter about what was going on and what products we had and what new treatments. And people would come in with this newsletter. You know, I got your newsletter and I want to try this. And so you thought, wow, well, this actually is quite straightforward and it works as long as whatever you're doing is exciting and you can communicate it. And this is before email marketing was really, right? Yeah. I mean, there was not even email then, right? People would call and leave a message on your answering machine to book an appointment. So, so it was way back then. And then that kind of snowballed that little place it was called let's face it and it snowballed we had so many customers we just had to expand because people would call and they'd want to come in for a facial but we really and we worked six days 12 hours a day so it wasn't like oh you know we're open a small number of hours every room was full for 18 months so an opportunity to expand in the same building came up because an art gallery was closing so we took the larger space and then started to build out a larger spa and that was when bliss was born which was in 1996. Wow. At which point we had an article in Vogue about a particular cream that we used to sell and the phone was ringing off the hook and people would call, order this cream. We literally would work all night packing up creams into boxes and and mailing them, right? Because I didn't know about mailing houses. (laughs) So (laughs) you're really learning on the fly. And then people would say, well, you know, I'm 24 or something at the time, 25. And they would say, well, what else do you sell? This is a really great cream. What else do you have? So we decided to do a mail order catalog. Again, this is way before there were websites. So we published sort of in the vein of, remember Jay Peterman? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh, no, I, I so- remember. I, I wish so much I would have kept these original catalogs, right? <laughs> I mean, so I, mean this is, I remember all of this. I, it's, it's amazing. Yeah. So yes. we, I, I loved the Jay Peterman catalog. And I thought, well, wouldn't it be fun? We could do a Jay Peterman kind of catalog, but for beauty products, right? <laughs> and so I got one of my clients who was a still life photographer, one who was an illustrator. I hired somebody to do, you know, the sort of catalog production and everything like that. And I thought, well, I can write. I mean, I don't need to hire a copywriter because I can write copy. I mean, not that I knew how to write copy, but I didn't think it was that complicated. I, you know, remember getting a very good grade in English when I was in high school. <laughs> so I was the copywriter. And this is one of those moments. That I think one of your questions, you know, the aha moment was I, one of my clients happened to be a marketing executive at Calvin Klein. And we sent out our very first catalog. Literally, we licked stamps, <laughs> created this catalog with, you know, a couple of my clients who had skills and I wrote the copy and we, we picked out our favorite mascara or our favorite this or our favorite that. And we'd kind of put, you know, 24 items into a catalog. And my client came in for a facial. And I think she had just received her catalog the day before, had an emergency call from Calvin himself who had received our catalog as well, called an emergency meeting about our catalog. And everybody had to go in at 1130 at night to discuss this catalog and how could they do something like this. And of course it was 
our very first shot at doing a catalog, but because we didn't know what we were doing, it was fresh. <laughs> it was, oh my gosh. It was, the, I, I remember it. It was the, you know, the iconic blue, that turquoise is blue. I remember exactly what the catalog looked like. So it was. Yeah. And yeah, it was such a, it was so flattering, but you know, then I thought, oh, I guess I'm kind of good at this, you know, the beauty product thing, but maybe, you know, being able to, to communicate it out, make people excited about, about, you know, their beauty products and, and buying things from a catalog. And maybe this is a skill that I've got. And it kind of then grew and grew and grew. So, it, you know, it has been super fun just learning along the way and trying stuff and, and iterating and evolving. I think that's so important. So when did you know that you became a brand, right? That you were really, I mean, I, I think there's always this turning point when you're in any small business, whether it's a service or, or it's a product where you're like, okay, I mean, you know, you always have one foot off a cliff, I think to some extent, and you have the other foot back and you're trying to continue growing. But when did you know that it had really kind of made it in some way? Well, probably there were two points, but I'm sure there were a thousand. One was when I think it was Samantha on Sex in the City. Ah. I, was I was watching an episode of Sex in the City and Samantha said, I have to go to Bliss for a facial. And it was written into the script as if everybody would know what bliss was. And then you thought, whoa, right? That's kind of crazy That's that it gets written. Yeah, it's like someone, you know, when there's that kind of recognition, then you know that you've kind of made it. Another point I think was we, we decided because there were so many people calling all the time to try and get appointments, we moved our booking offices to Brooklyn because we just couldn't, we didn't want the phones ringing in the spot. It's not very relaxing. And of course, we had to have, you know, probably 20 people sitting at the desks answering the phones all the time. And that took up a lot of space. So we were one of the pioneers moving into Dumbo. And um, we had this, you know, call center in Dumbo, which was also where we fulfilled the catalog orders from, which is pretty crazy if you think about it right now, like who, <laughs> who would have their catalog? <laughs> but we right. lived over there. So we thought, oh, why not? This is very cheap space and we can kind of control it all and make sure that the quality is high. And I remember walking into the call center, all the phones were ringing, but, you know, we had flashing lights instead. So it didn't drive everyone crazy. And I remember sitting down because I could see that people were on hold. So I just slotted myself in and sat down and started to book appointments. And I remember someone, I, you know, said, hi, you know, welcome to Bliss, blah, blah, blah. And they said, hi, I would like to book a triple oxygen facial, a high herbie, and a, I can't remember what the other, you know, what, what the other name of, but the fact that this person knew they were rattling off the names, right? A high herbie and a triple oxygen and a, I think it was a pedicure, but they knew them all by yeah. our names, right? Kind of like a it was big probably me. And a this and a that. It, it, it might yeah, have been it was you. Probably me on the, on the phone. So I remember the oxygen facial. You were, I mean, that was the thing. And I, I lived in San oh, Francisco amazing. at the time. So I used to fly back just to, I had meetings. Get I was your facial? online and get my facial with my ox, double oxygen, triple oxygen. Yeah, it was just amazing. I, I absolutely loved it. And then you were acquired at, at some yes. point. You sold the company. So yeah. in 1999. Yeah. Well, you know, for my, my whole existence, you know, pretty much since I mean, we were never as, you know, my family, we were never wealthy in any way, shape or form. So pretty much my entire existence um, especially when I lived in New York was, you know, te like tenuous from a, from a financial perspective. <laughs> Let's just put it that way. So I had always reinvested everything that I made back into, um, you know, into Let's Face It when I had Let's Face It and then back into Bliss. And so you were always living kind of hand to mouth, right? Trying to, you know, pay the contractors or pay for the, you know, pay the rent or pay the taxes or whatever it was that was coming due. And we desperately needed to expand in, um, in the new bliss location because we had, I think 12 treatment rooms, but again, you know, we'd moved from this smaller place into bliss. We had four times as many treatment rooms, but we were still booked for a year and a half in advance and people were starting to get really upset. So they would book their appointments, you know, 
a month apart for 18 months. But then if anybody knew called, they just couldn't get in. And so we realized there was a space above us. We realized, oh, wouldn't it be great if we could take that space? Uh, we could get another 12 treatment rooms in. Uh, but unfortunately, you know, if we would have then built that out, the tax liability was so high because it was capital, you know, improvements that it was just going to put me back into a whole bunch of debt. And I had just been in debt for so long. <laughs> so at that time, I guess, because we were kind of hot, we were in all the magazines and, you know, Oprah had us on and, you know, it, we were everywhere. Um, and we had this waiting list. We started to be courted by quite a lot of large cosmetic conglomerates because of course they're always looking for the next hot thing and they want, you know, they want a piece of it. Um, so we had a few different businesses and, you know, large corporates swirling around and, LVMH was probably the best at the um, sort of, you know, the dance <laughs> and invited me to Paris. We got to fly over on the Concorde, which was still flying then. And, you know, took me to the Dior shop and the shop. And, you know, I'm 29. I've never oh had anything like this. I'm living in yeah. Brooklyn. You know, a night out for me is going to the Thai place that, you know, and having like Thai food and a beer. <laughs> Yeah, because like you know, couldn't afford anything else. Amazing. Yeah, it was a, it was a very fairy tale like story, and they were an amazing partner because they really understood what we were trying to build, and they had a you know a lab in Orléans in France where we could go and formulate products with all these great chemists, and so it was irresistible when they said that they wanted to buy part of the company because I thought, oh, thank God, it won't just be me always, you know, the one holding the bag because that is quite. It's quite intense when you're, you know, the only one sort of on the line for a business of that size. And coming from where I came from, I just wasn't used to it. So, so you stayed involved then after it was sold? I stayed involved for about five years. So I wanted to make sure that they knew how to, um, how to, you know, run the business and keep it going and, and that they had the people in place that would be able to, you know, grow it in the way that we had grown it when it was, uh, you know, a small concern. And that we wouldn't lose the quality and that the, you know, the staff was taken care of and everybody still had the same kind of passion. So, um, so I finished in about 2004, I think was my last year. And then the next venture, uh, was it the next venture flip-flop at that point? I had actually started sort of a massage brand called Soap and Glory. Um, Uh but I was living in England at the time. And so, and so I had, you know, done that first launching at Harvey Nichols, and then we rolled it out into Boots, which is sort of, you know, England's big retailer, and then came back across and went into Sephora. So long story there, but Fit Flop was something I had been working on at the same time. um, And it just took a little bit longer to engineer. And it was really based on trying to get the ultimate ergonomics into a shoe so that when you walked, you were doing something really good for your body, realigning your body, making sure that the ground reaction force, I mean, it's quite technical, but that I had this idea to create like the ultimate shoe so that you could kind of do a yoga class as you walked your child to school or as you were walking to work or whatever you were doing. And I couldn't find it anywhere. And so I was you know, doing a lot of research about footwear. And it was really interesting because I would, I would uh, give non-disclosure agreements to footwear designers who I had found on the internet. By then I was searching the internet, trying to find somebody to help me. And everybody that I would interview would say, I'd say, look, I want to, I want to design a shoe that does X, Y, and Z that, you know, because I was a personal trainer. So I knew a lot about how to get the body feeling really energetic. And Every single person that I would interview would say, well, I don't know how to do that. I just draw shoes. And I realized, oh my God, no one thinks about how the body actually interacts with the shoe and how that makes, I mean, it's so crazy. I I mean, when I read your story, just about, you know, water versus diet soda and how it's so important, right? In terms of what you drink, including what you eat. And you know, you look at cosmetics, if you're creating shower gel, something as simple as a a shower gel, you have to test it on 60 people for 60 days to make sure that it's safe, right? This is the thing you rub on, it rinse off, but you can create a shoe and just put it out there. It can ruin somebody's back. Yeah. And no, there is 
nothing stopping you from putting something out there that can be really detrimental to someone's posture or, you know, their, their spinal system or anything. So I did think it was really crazy. And so I, I searched around to try and create the ultimate shoe. And I started with a flip-flop because it would be affordable for everyone. I wanted something that everybody could try. And if you go into an enclosed shoe, you know, not everybody can afford a high-tech enclosed shoe. So I thought, well, let me start with flip-flops because they'll be less expensive to produce. I love that. And I love that you went from the beauty industry, fearless founder over here going into, you know, the shoe industry. I mean, why not? Right. And that's, I, I absolutely love it. How do you think those two industries were different? I mean, what were sort of the glaring kind of differences between? Well, you know, there's a lot of similarity and then of course, a lot of different, uh, you know, differentiation shoes, obviously most of them now are made in China. Mm -hmm. So if actually really good shoes are made in China or Vietnam, right? Whereas really good cosmetics come from Italy, Switzerland, now South Korea, Japan, right? Where you wouldn't normally at the moment source luxury cosmetics from China. There just weren't, you know, there, there, as far as I know, there just aren't uh, suppliers who have the same level of quality because the Italians have been doing it for so long. The Swiss have been doing it for so long. So it was an entirely new sourcing kind of learning curve um, because I had never had never sourced anything from China before. And they were by so far the best at creating prototypes and creating patterns and knives. And they actually have imported a lot of the, the experienced Italian artisan shoemakers hmm. to work in Dongguan and Shenzhen and, and um, these manufacturing areas because they knew they needed the expertise, but they had the ability to do the kind of volume um, and I think very, very quickly became the engineering experts of footwear. As it turned out. That's amazing. Yeah. I, I actually found the person who was my first CEO for FitFlop through, because it was a partner. He was the, the managing director of a partner business who happened to make a lip gloss for me for one of my other businesses. And when they had done an introduction, we had an introductory meeting and they said, oh, we have this partner business called blah, blah, blah. And we make footwear and blah, 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 blah. And so when I came up with the idea for FitFlop, I thought, wait, wait, wait. First I thought, oh, how am I going to make this? I don't know anybody who does footwear. And then I thought, well, maybe I could go and partner with, you know, Nike or Adidas or something like that. And then I thought, no, they'll steal my idea. Right. And then it's like David versus Goliath. And no, can't do this. So then I was racking my brains to think, how am I going to you know, commercialize this? Because I had a prototype. I'd worked with the university on a prototype. And then somewhere in the middle of my brain, I linked back together to when I was sitting in that introductory meeting with this cosmetics lab. And they said, oh, we also have a business that sources footwear. And it was like, ding. It. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> so I and called so them. We had a meeting. Yeah. 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 And just said, do you have anybody who can help me source this? And then we did a deal where they sourced it and they charged me like, you know, $2 per pair of shoes or something like that. It was not bad at all. I love it. I love how your curiosity just led you into these. I mean, you knew nothing about it, but you didn't let it no. stop you. I mean, if, if nothing else, it was just a point in your journey, right? It wasn't. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Right? I, I love it's, that. It's just so fun to be able to um, improve something, right? Yeah. No, that's yeah. exactly what I'm, as I'm listening to you, that's what I'm seeing. So the, so FitFlop, what, where did FitFlop go? Oh, well now we're in about, oh gosh, 65 countries. That's amazing. So, yeah. That's still, still have pretty much all the ownership of it. Um, obviously there's some people who work on the teams who we've given some percentages to because they've been incredible, um, partners along the way. And, um, yeah, we, we, we do tremendous business and it's growing really. I mean, it grew really well over lockdown. <laughs> Weirdly, women buy shoes and lipstick to cheer themselves up. Since you're global, what is the size of the typical shoe world? Like worldwide, is there, is there some, you know, Very, are people yeah, different in Asia? Different in so Asia. Different in Asia, okay. of course. Asia, uh, generally people will have wider feet, but smaller. 
So uh, a wider fit will be more comfortable for someone in Asia. Not, you know, it's not everyone. Of course, you'll have some people who are very slim feet, but generally a, um, a wider fit and maybe a, I guess you'd probably call it a UK, no, sorry, an American of <laughs> going through those charts, probably yeah. an American five huh. would be about typical. Um, in America, of course, you've got, you know, probably size nine would be, oh. right, average Pretty or eight typical. and a half, nine. Yeah, pretty typical because people are growing, right? And people are getting taller and their feet are getting bigger. I'd say in the UK, it's probably um, a UK 6.5, which would probably be like um, an American eight, eight and a half. <laughs> it really varies. It's all over the, the stuff place. stuff that you learn just in I founding know. companies. I love it. So your most recent venture is Beauty Pie. The one I talked about, the products are amazing. You've said that you want to be the Netflix of beauty, I read. What do you mean by that? Well, okay. It's, a, it's um, complicated, but not. You know, with the advent of the internet and so many people with subscriptions um, and so many people used to ordering online. What I realized after I had sold Soap and Glory, um, which was my last cosmetics business, was that the distribution channels for the luxury cosmetic industry are very outdated and that customers pay almost sometimes 90% of what they're paying for is because of those distribution channels when they aren't necessarily relevant, nor do they add any value to the customer's experience with the product or to the benefits that the product actually deliver. And I thought, you know, this is, it's so old school how the luxury beauty industry works. There are so many middlemen. There's so much markup. And rarely, if you're a typical beauty company, do you have the headspace to even think about what's best for the customer because you're so busy trying to slice and dice your marketing dollars and your margin into to be able to feed the beast. And even at this point, some retailers will, will take 70, 60 to 70% of the retail price of a cosmetic, right? As their margin. So, you know, a luxury anti-aging cream that's selling for a hundred dollars. The retailer will take 70 of that, right? On top of that, if you're a, a business that wants to do good business and be competitive, you then also have to supply hundreds of thousands of free samples. You have to do marketing X, Y, and Z. You have to give uh, freebies to all the employees in the store so that they can, you know, try the product to make. By the time you work out and work through all of those costs, what's left to actually make the product? is very, very little. So the beauty industry, you start to work backwards. Here's what we can sell it for. How much can we afford to put in it? Which is not the way that it should be. What you should be doing is saying, hey, let's make some incredible cream that will just make her face radiant. What can we put in it? Right? What else can we put in it? Is there anything else new that we can add that has really great clinicals that you can see, you know, incredible difference in fine lines or luminosity or uh, pigmentation? You know, what, what, what's out there? Let's right. stuff it. And I've just wanted to do that. And I realized, okay, this is probably one of the last businesses I'll, I'll create. And what would really give me joy is being able to go to all these labs I've met before, right? I've been doing this now for 25 years maybe a little longer. I know who all the good, I know who all the good ones are. So I've worked with the best Swiss labs, the best Japanese labs, the best Italian cosmetic manufacturers. I know, I know their addresses and their phone numbers. And I thought, how great would this be if I could make a club where women could join, right? Everybody contributes to the overhead. And then we all shop like straight out of the back door of all of these incredible factories or labs, right? And all we shop for are the highest quality products and we know what they cost to make. And so I kind of, you know, like when you have a really good idea, normally the hair on your body stands on end and you just think, oh, and no one was doing this. Yeah. No, no I mean, no. the model was just totally, so just explain. So people, you go on and people are buying a membership. 
Yeah. So you go on, you can just shop if you want to and pay normal prices, like a regular retail, which a lot of people do weirdly. Um, but it's fine. Cause you know, there's some people who just don't want a membership, which, you know, they might feel like, and a lot of people at the beginning thought, oh, this is too good to be true. Right. There's no way that a really great cream costs $12, $15. It can't possibly be good. I have to pay 150 for it. But what you do is you, you go on, you can shop, add things to your basket and then choose a membership. Or you just go to the membership page and you think, well, I'll probably spend about this much a month or this much. And you, you put a membership in your basket and then it shows you how much those products actually cost to make, get into the warehouse, ship, pack, all that kind of stuff. And you pay that and, and then you, you check out. And at the moment, there's a limit to how much you can buy each month because when we started, of course, we couldn't just be totally unlimited because we had no idea how much people would buy and we didn't want to run out. And if you're, if you're going to give people memberships, you have to make sure you have stock. We're now at the critical mass where we're going to be testing unlimited memberships, where we actually build a tiny bit of the membership cost into each product. So people can pay a small fee at the beginning of the year and then just buy whatever they want, whenever they want. And, um, it's, it's amazing because it is kind of like virtually being able to go into, say, the world's best French candle maker, the world's best lipstick factory, uh, the best Swiss, actually I have the two best Swiss skincare labs or best lab in Japan for skincare also, and just shop, right? But out of the back door. So here's the manufacturing line. The stuff is coming off the manufacturing line. It's all in beautiful packaging, um, very eco-friendly. We always made sure that that we chose according to you know what was going to be as clean as possible for the earth. And you're just shopping off the line before it gets to a middleman, before it gets shipped to a retailer, before it gets marked up by the retailer. And so you get probably five times as much for your money. Yeah, it's such a terrific product. And did you go global in terms of selling the product immediately? I, I, I mean, that actually was really unique as well. Well, we were in the UK and the US. We okay. haven't gone totally global yet because again, you know, with cosmetics, you have to buy 10,000 of any individual yeah. item to get a good price, right? And so of course, our goal is always to get the, the best price for our members. So the bigger we get, the lower the prices should get which is really kind of extraordinary also because it's really a business model where everybody wins. You send your friend, great. You know, if we double in size, we should have more bargaining power with our, our suppliers. And so we started just in the US and UK because we want to make sure that we can really deliver and service. Even the US by itself is, you know, such a huge market. Just shipping from New Jersey to LA can take too long. So yeah. we have to consider, oh, do we have to open another warehouse somewhere on the West Coast or in the middle, so it doesn't take so long. And that means you have to have 400 products at a sufficient level of SKUs in a warehouse somewhere in the middle. You know, it's complicated. And very it's, complicated. It's very complicated. And it's also, you know, you need a lot of capital. So we have to be just very careful of balancing it out since, since we launched because it is so disruptive. Um, and no one has done something like this before, but it's so great for the customer that, uh, you know, I always say it has to win, you know, whatever's better for the customer will win. So it's exciting. How do you, or what do you see the key differences are between people who are buying in Europe versus people who are buying in, in the U.S.? Is there, are there things that people are more concerned about in terms of beauty um, that you've been able to see the data and the trends? Sure. I mean, Americans love their sunscreen and that is really mm -hmm. good. Uh, obviously it's sunnier over there most of the year that, you know, you have what we call the smile belt, right? There are areas in the U S where it's just sunny all the time. And I think people have been very well trained by beauty magazines and their dermatologists about sunscreen, 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 sunscreen. So sunscreen is very, very big in the U S retinol is huge for us. Um, people love their, their retinols. We sell a tremendous amount of that. I'm trying to think, I think, um, the Americans who are beauty pie members, we call them American pie. They're, I'd say, less um, inhibited with their spending. Like you will see these giant boxes of product that, that people post on Instagram. You think, oh my God, how much stuff did you buy? So more people are on the higher tiers and buying kind of everything from us, from 
from their candles to their hair care, to their body care, to their, like they just buy everything. Um, whereas you see people being a little bit more reserved, I think, in in England. Interesting. So obviously coming out of the pandemic here, hopefully, fingers crossed, what are some of the biggest challenges that you've seen in beauty and just in the industry as a whole? Um, well, supply chain has been really mm-hmm. difficult. We were quite lucky in that we had kind of bulked up our supply at the beginning, or I mean, even before the beginning, because we were going, we were seeing a lot of growth, um, but we couldn't have possibly planned for the amount of growth we then had sort of in the first half of the pandemic. It, obviously, everybody was at home and people needed to feel good. And also people were really watching their budgets because there was so much uncertainty. Mm-hmm. So the idea of being able to ship a box of luxury skincare and cosmetics to your house for a really great price, <laughs> right? Where you didn't actually have to feel guilty because, yeah, it was kind of made for pandemic. Um, and so we saw a tremendous uptick in new members joining us during that first half. But then we had to actually stop um, any of our advertising or outreach because we had to watch inventory levels. Because of course, and I'm, I'm sure it's similar with you, although maybe it's a little bit lighter on supply chain because you pretty much use the same bottles, except for the, you had juice boxes, right? We have boxes, but I, th- I think like the key thing for, for us that, you know, that we didn't have to deal with this and while other beverage companies did is that we, we don't source anything outside of the U.S. And so right. all of our supply chain was here. But if you, for example, produced your product in cans, all cans are made in China, in Asia. Yeah. And, and yeah. so that is where people... Um, and frankly, still catching up. I mean, I think it's it's a huge, you know, it's a huge problem everywhere that I think everybody's seeing. I was just reading an article on the automobile industry that it's, you know, tiny little components that go into sure. automobiles. People want to buy cars, but these factories in all parts of the world were shut down on different times. So they couldn't get those things and in order to actually build the full Car. So I think we're going to be feeling this trickle in so many different industries. And I'm, you know, sure for you, you know, it's, you've got your suppliers all over the world. You've got, you the know, packaging, packaging suppliers are all in Asia. Yeah. All. Yeah, absolutely. So it's, been, I mean, it's been a struggle. Yeah. We're even, I, I think our biggest challenge uh, today, as crazy as it sounds, is pallets. I mean, it's not even about our product. It's actually, you know, to be able to palletize things. And, you know, you don't it's have just, any pallets. Where are they? They haven't come back. I mean, pallets is like a major problem all over the place. And if they haven't come back and I, I don't know, it's like it, it is not. So that is in the last week that has been a huge, huge issue. Yeah. No, it was I was saying to our manufacturer, I said, can we talk to you know, Home Depot or any of these. Nope. They're all gone. I mean, everyone's dealing with the same issue. And so, yeah, so it's, we'll see. I mean, hopefully it it gets worked out, but it's, uh, it's, you know, and really, really what I see is that it's, uh, you know, the challenges I think from the pandemic are not necessarily predictable, right? There, there are challenges that you just have to figure out. How are we going to, what can we do now? As I always say, and I'm sure you're I'm seeing that as well. I had an email today. I think it was on LinkedIn. Someone who is trucking stuff from China to Europe. They called it like Silk Road Transport. I was like, okay, maybe on some of these smaller items. Yeah. Obviously, you can't do it with like a big box of boots or something because you're not going to get enough on a truck. But if you've got, you know, 30,000 of these, it might be worth actually driving them from China through Europe. Crazy. You would never think about this, but... You can't get boats right now, right? There's no space on containers. So even with my footwear business, we've had quite a lot of difficulty because we're supposed to be relaunching our original shoe, which was the Walkstar, which was uh, like a stripy Uh flip-flop. Yeah. And so we thought, you know what? Let's relaunch it. That was the best shoe. It was so incredibly comfortable. And so we were supposed to launch them in May. Well, they're not here. (laughs) So now we're launching them in June, but... You know, you have to kind of move everything back. It's a moving target. You got to be flexible and creative. Well, I think flexible, creative, and what I always tell people is that 
the more challenges you have, the more resilient you become. And you seem quite zen uh, to me, right? I mean, there's only so much you can do and you have to accept that there are things that you're not going to be able to do anything about. But the biggest thing that I see in you and why I admire you so much is that you don't stay complacent, right? You just keep moving. You try and figure out what can we do along the way, which I think is really the key to successful entrepreneurs. Yeah, there's always something you have to wind your way around, isn't there? And I I think there's a great Tony Robbins speech. I don't know if you've ever seen it. Al Gore's in the audience, right? And he talks about being resourceful and just saying that, you know what? The way that you win is you're resourceful and you Mm -hmm. just keep trying to figure it out. You may come up with 99 ideas, but it's the hundredth one that actually works that nobody else has tried that hard to think of it because everyone else gave up. And that's kind of how you have to live, especially in times like this. We'll find those pallets, Kara. We've got to find find the pallets. Exactly. So what's last question for you? What is the thing that you, you know, you wish you knew before you went into starting your business? I mean, I mean, you've learned so much along the way. You've been in different industries. You've, I mean, what, what is that thing? That one thing? That one thing. I think I wish I would have read more. Hmm. I wish I've read more when I was younger and starting out and just taking maybe an hour a day just to read anything. Because the more random things that you know, the easier it is for you to connect dots and solve those problems. So and true. I, yeah. And and I haven't, you know, even until I, I think the internet has helped so much, right? Because you're always reading and it's like you don't have anything to do. You pick up your phone, you start to read, and then you start to connect dots and you go, wait, I saw something here or there. Um, but I have found that just, you know, I'll scan newsletters. I, I, I listen to podcasts on topics that I actually don't care about on purpose so that because there might be something in there that is going to open up a new channel for me. And, you know, 20 years ago or 25 or 30, there weren't all of these readily available sources of information. You had to kind of buy a magazine or and and you you wouldn't because you wouldn't necessarily see the value in going and reading something that might be a little bit off your uh, beaten path of expertise. So I would say, you know, Warren Buffett reads, right, five or six hours a day. Um, And once I started to read and just understand so many different industries, it did help me to have a broader perspective on pretty much everything. So that's what I would encourage people to do. I I a thousand percent agree with you. It's like actually looking at other industries definitely helps me to come up with new ideas and new ways to tackle things. Yeah. Like you were talking about car parts, Mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. So you know about car parts (laughs) and yeah. And it could be, it could be fashion or it could be beverages. I mean, well, you know all about beverages, but I don't know about beverages, but there may be something about beverage bottling, right? Or about, I mean, automotive or shipping or just having that broad general perspective and a little bit of knowledge about everything. At least you know where to go when you're looking for an answer because you know it exists. So I I would say that. I I totally agree. So I, uh, as listeners know, I, I just wrote a book that came out in last October, Undaunted, Overcoming Doubts and Doubters. And it's Certainly, if you are a beverage executive or a, a, a wannabe founder of a beverage company, it's a great book. But the number of people that I've heard from that never want to launch a beverage company but are getting a lot out of it, I think are also, and it just plays right into what you're talking about. It really is just go satisfy your curiosity. Um, I think to some extent, you know, being a founder too can be lonely at times, really challenging. You're trying to find answers and being able to read about other uh, challenges that founders have had in their industry. I think it's just, you feel like you know them, right? After yeah. you're reading those stories and there's so many great ones uh, that are out there. Uh, you talked about the shoe industry. I mean, Phil Knight's book, um, Shoe Dog amazing. is amazing, amazing, right? On so many levels. It just... Uh, Anyway, it's definitely, I think, reading and listening to podcasts is super terrific. Yeah, I think you then don't feel like you're alone, right? They always say like a problem shared is is not as heavy, 
Right? Yeah. As long as, and, and when you read about other people who are going through the same kind of struggles that you are, then it's almost like sharing your problem. You, yeah. you know, you if you don't have anybody right there, right, you know, right then to discuss something with reading about someone else who's gone through it makes it is, it is less lonely. It gives you that connection somehow. So it's a real, um, service to people that you wrote that book. Cause it's really, it is like a public service announcement book yeah. <laughs> for all entrepreneurs. It's so true. So this is so terrific. So where can people find you? Obviously, Beauty Pie and just learn more about what you're up to. Uh, well, I'm on Instagram. That's kind of, you know, when I'm not working, I'm Marcia.Kilgore and Beauty Pie is at beautypie.com, but also across all social channels. As is Fiplop, we're, we're anywhere that you, that you need to, to look. That is so terrific. Well, everyone, thank you so much. It was so great to be able to talk to you, Marcia. And I really enjoyed learning about all the different companies and the different aspects of, of running these and starting these and how you thought about things. And I mean, honestly, you are just such an inspiration and so you know great at disrupting industries and starting things that you really care about and things that you're passionate about. And I highly encourage everyone to check out Beauty Pie. Like I said, the products are awesome. This is one woman who absolutely knows where to source these products and and they're really, really, really terrific for sure. And you also, she's offering an amazing offer here where you get your first month for free by using Kara Golden Show, all one word. We'll put that into the script as well right before you check out. So you'll get the first month free. And thanks everyone for listening to this episode of the Kara Golden Show. If you like this episode, please subscribe and give it five-star rating on Apple Podcasts and Spotify or your favorite platform. And you can also follow me on all social channels at Kara Golden with an I. And thank you everyone. Have a terrific week. Thank you again, Marcia. Thanks for having me. Before we sign off, I want to talk to you about fear. People like to talk about fearless leaders, but achieving big goals isn't about fearlessness. Successful leaders recognize their fears and decide to deal with them head on in order to move forward. This is where my new book, Undaunted, comes in. This book is designed for anyone who wants to succeed in the face of fear, overcome doubts, and live a little undaunted. Order your copy today at undauntedthebook.com and learn how to look your doubts and doubters in the eye and achieve your dreams. For a limited time, you'll also receive a free case of Hint Water. Do you have a question for me or want to nominate an innovator to Spotlight? Send me a tweet at Kara Golden and let me know. And if you like what you heard, please leave me a review on Apple Podcasts. You can also follow along with me on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and LinkedIn at Kara Golden. Kara Golden. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.